So Money episode 880, Kate Snow, weekday anchor for MSNBC Live, Emmy-winning national correspondent for NBC News, and anchor of NBC Nightly News Sunday editions. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Karabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. I tend to report a lot on people who are the underdogs in society, people who maybe don't have a lot of financial resources, and I see daily the difference that it makes when you don't have financial resources. And it saddens me. I mean, I did a story about the the college entry scandal a few weeks ago for the Today Show about not the illegal stuff that, you know, the people, these parents were, you know, Felicity Huffman and the other parents are accused of buying their kids way into school. If you set aside the illegal parts, the legal system is stacked against people who don't have means. We are in conversation with Kate Snow. She is one of the most accomplished television journalists. You've probably seen her on NBC News. She's the weekday anchor for MSNBC Live, as well as national correspondent for NBC News and anchor of NBC Nightly News Sunday editions. Kate has traveled extensively and built a reputation for stories that create change. She's covered politics throughout her career, including five presidential elections, the White House and Congress. She continues to cover developing news stories from the mass shootings in Newtown to conflict in the Middle East to allegations against Bill Cosby. She's currently hosting a series called The Drink with Kate Snow, where she has a drink with incredibly interesting people from fashion designer Isaac Mizrahi to actress Kate Hutt to NASA astronaut Peggy Whitson. On So Money, we dive into her career, how she arrived in her field as a journalist, as a top journalist for NBC, the stories that she's drawn to cover, including the financial ones, and Kate's role as breadwinner in her marriage and how she and her husband have successfully combined their finances over the years. Here's Kate Snow. Kate Snow, welcome to So Money. I'm very Thank excited you. to connect with you. Thank you for coming on the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm, I'm excited to be here. It's such a treat, especially I know you're in the midst of working. This is a, a Tuesday <laughs> that we're recording this. Yes. What's on your to-do list right now? I mean, I think oh as a journalist, God. it's like laundry list, right? Yeah, if you could see my desk right now, it's a, um, a pile of papers. I just got out of a meeting about a, a series of stories I'm doing on children and mental health. Um, I've got another story in front of me about police officers and their mental health and suicide, unfortunately. I do a, a lot of kind of sad stories, um, but stories that I think are important to talk about out loud. But yeah, my day, my day is, um, today is a lot of meetings because I just got back from being off for a little while. And so I'm trying to like catch up on a whole lot of stuff. Well, I'd love to dig into a little bit of sort of the behind the scenes of your storytelling. I think a lot of us who watch the news, it's always interesting to learn how a story you know, sort of comes about. I mean, there's also, it's obviously like breaking news and you got to follow that. But a lot of your stories are enterprised. And as you mentioned, you know, um, it may, yeah. in some cases sad. And I want to know what is often the genesis for the stories that you pursue? So 
my career has, you know, like everybody's, it evolves and changes. And I would say I used to do, you know, 10 years ago, I did a lot more breaking news than I'm doing now. Now, by choice, I'm sort of trying to carve a niche for myself where I do a lot about things I just mentioned, mental health, um, substance abuse. I'm kind of the, the chief person at NBC that does a lot on opioid and the opioid crisis. Um, so I, I, I guess what I'm saying is I seek out certain stories because I think they're important and it, they tend to be stories that just don't get a lot of attention otherwise. Um, and some of those are stories that we can set up ahead of time. So that makes my life a little bit easier because, you know, breaking news is like, you got to get on a plane right now to go cover the tornado. What I'm doing now is a lot more, a lot of my stories are things that I can plan ahead. Um, tomorrow I'm going to Boston on a shoot about an investigative piece that we're doing that I probably shouldn't elaborate on, but, um, you know, I, I, I've got a lot of things going on at once. My, my life is a constant, I feel like that, you know, that person that's spinning plates on a stick in the air. Remember, remember that like juggling act where they had spinning plates? I feel kind of like that. Like I'm constantly spinning one plate and then moving to another and spinning that plate and um, just jumping from story to story. In fact, I, I think w one thing I really have to be very conscious of is finding time to focus on one project because I've got so many going at a time. Mm. But it's sort of the nature of being a journalist, right? I mean, I kind yeah. of, I, I feel that way too in my own life. And I think that I kind of wouldn't want it any other way. It's sort of I, in yeah, my I DNA, right? on it. Exactly. Same, same for me. I'm sure you're wired the same way. Most of the people in this building and in NBC and 30 Rock are sort of, you know, people that we love having a million things going on at once. We love the energy of breaking news. And I mean, you know, they, nightly news could call me right now. It's 1140 in the morning. They could say, we need this piece for tonight for, you know, for 630 tonight. That happens very frequently also. Um, I just don't jump on planes as much as I used to, to go to breaking news, but I often have to do breaking news in New York. Right. Because yeah. you're a mom and you have a life and we'll, we'll get to some of that in, in a moment, but yeah, yeah. I, I, I went to journalism <laughs> school and I'm geeking out here because I have one of the premier journalists on the podcast. And I, I was thinking about some of the questions that I, as like the geeky journalist would like to ask you. And one is that, you know, you cover so many different topics, Kate, you also interview so many different types of people. And I wonder, if there is a conscious strategy, when you get a story on your plate, whether that's to interview Bono or to cover the opioid crisis, do you have a particular first approach to every story that you're like, okay, this mm -hmm. is where every story begins as far as your own kind of narrative storytelling approach? Yeah, I would say, I mean, there's two different buckets, right? So interviewing someone like Bono or you know, name your celebrity. I mean, I've done a lot. I've done a lot of high-profile interviews. Um, last year, I, I interviewed the woman who took down Bill Cosby, whose case led to him being in prison right now. That's a different approach, right? That's figuring out, similar to what you do every week, how are you going to talk to someone? What questions are you going to ask? It's also what I'm doing with a show that I do now called The Drink, which I'd love to talk about at some point. But Separately, when I'm doing a story, uh, which is going to have narration, which is going to be my voice over pictures, you know, think of nightly news with Lester Holt. If I'm going to be in that broadcast, I'm just doing a little piece of the broadcast, right? I'm doing like a two or well, basically a two minute piece. Um, and that when I am approaching something like that, like we were just having a meeting in my office 
10 minutes ago about a story about mental health and kids. The first thing I ask is, what is it going to look like? Because television is a visual medium. So how are we going to illustrate, like we were just talking about a story um, that has to do with parents overusing their digital devices. And you know how parents are often distracted now and they're on their phone. And what is that doing to our kids when they can't even access their parents because, you know, they're they're standing there, but you're on your phone and you're not seeing them. Um, I, I know I'm guilty of that. I think most of us are probably guilty of doing that, right? And so we were just talking about how do we illustrate that? We, if, think about think about the, the logistics of trying to get a family to talk to, to a parent to talk to us about that and admit that they're using their phone all the time and ignoring their kids. It's kind of a tall ask, right, to get a parent to... So, so we're talking... So we're, we're, we're probably going to get a group of kids together and go about it the reverse way and get the kids together and have me talk to the kids about their parents because the parents will probably allow their kids, you know, we're trying to find a group that will allow us to talk to their kids and kids are pretty honest. So I think we'll get a little more honesty out of the kids and then visually we'll have to be able to go home with some of those kids. We're going to have to convince a family to let us into their home probably. So I always think about the visuals first and some stories are easier than others. I mean, breaking news is much easier because if there's a plane crash, that's your visual. But when you're trying to do a story about like I just did one about police officers that I mentioned and, and their mental health, we had to find officers. We had to find a we, we found the LAPD, Los Angeles Police Department, is very willing to speak about what they're doing to support officers' mental health and well-being. They have a unique program out there. So we went to L.A. because it was the best place for us to go. And it was a real it was challenging to get them to um, let us to come to let us come to roll call in the morning when they you know, they get their marching orders for the day. But they let us do that and and shoot roll call with um, one of their psychologists was on is on hand routinely now for occasionally for not every day, but occasionally psychologists go to roll call to check in on the officers. They're under a lot of pressure. I mean, you can, you can understand life as a police officer is not easy right now. Uh, So that's a whole other story. Yeah. Well, so many stories and you mentioned the drink, which I want to talk about because this to me is like my style of, you know, journalism. Like I want to like relax and have a conversation with people that I admire. Right. Over a drink. Yeah. Over a drink or, you know, your beverage of choice. Um, but how do you decide who you like, who you interview? You've interviewed Isaac Mizrahi, Kate Hudson, um, Peggy Whitson, who's a NASA astronaut, obviously a big range, but is there, is there, um, an underpinning? Yeah. So the rule. So, okay. So let me back up a step. We started doing the drink a little over a year ago. It's called the drink with Kate Snow. If you Google the drink Kate Snow, it pops up. Um, it is an NBC product in that I work for NBC and we're, we're shooting it with NBC cameras, but it's not airing on television. It's, it's all digital. It's all, um, we call it OTT over the top, which is all the folks that have cut their cable and are just consuming on, you know, Apple TV or Roku, that's where you can find the drink. So it's, it's so interesting for me because it lets me stretch completely different muscles. Everything I've just been talking about, all these serious, you know, sort of 
really heavy stories that I do for television, those are great. And I love doing those stories. But I also wanted to have some fun and just talk to people. I'm fascinated by how people got to where they are. And, you know, so the most famous Isaac Mizrahi, you know, everybody knows he's a fashion designer. But did you know that he did? He started out doing puppet shows in his basement. Like, you don't know how he got there. And did you know? And did you know that he failed over and over again? That's the thing that comes through in almost every one of these the drink interviews that I've done is that people have colossal failures. You know, they get rejected. They get told you're never going to be whatever your chosen career is. You're never going to make it. And yet they do. And how do they find, you know, the resilience to come back from a huge disappointment or what could be almost a career ending you know, change in their lives. What do they do to to come out of that? So that's what drives me to do those. And that's what I think is so fun. And it is over a drink, but it can be coffee. It can be martinis. We do. Yeah, we do lots of different kinds of drinks, but it's just getting off the ground. We've had about 15 so far that we've published, um, just about to publish a new one with um, Layla Ali, daughter of Muhammad Ali. Yes. Yeah. Well, so if we were to reverse roles here and you were on the uh, interviewee side and I'm Kate Snow, what is something that people don't know about you or some revelation Mm. that might come about if we were to have a drink with cameras rolling? Oh, goodness. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Revelation. The drink probably helps, right? (laughs) The drink would definitely help. Um, So I guess the most probably unknown thing about me is that I sing in a rock band. What? I love it. Yeah. (laughs) When can we see you perform? Well, it's kind of local. It's me and um, four guys and we're all parents. We're all working parents, you know, so it's not like, it's not our day job. It's very much just a fun, super fun thing that we do. But um, yeah, we're performing outside of New York City. When's our next gig? In June is our next gig. What's the name of the so band? We, it's called Clever by Accident. Clever by Accident. Yes, but I love it. We're so kind of lame at this point that we don't even really have a good website or anything. We're just sort of so doing is it that the dream? Fun. Is that or is that is this no, like your side hustle? <laughs> you know, you know what it is. Is I've always I sang my whole life like. In high school, I was, you know, in all the musicals, I was a drama club president, total glee kind of, you know, thing in high school. And then in college, I sang with a a chorus. And so I've, I've been a singer a long time, but I sort of let it. As, as any parent can relate to, you have little kids, like you just lose time for yourself, right? So I sort of let it all fade away and I wasn't really singing. And then I was at a dinner party a few years ago and a good friend of mine, Harish, well, now a good friend of mine, at the time I was, we were sort of barely friends and he said he was looking for a singer for a band that he was in and my husband volunteered me and you know, we'd had a few glasses of wine at a dinner party. And I was like, yeah, I guess I could try singing in a band again. I had done it in my 20s. Anyway, long story short, I kind of tried out with them and they were like, yes, let's do it. And so it just became this outlet. And what I didn't anticipate was that it is such a good stress reliever. You know, it's like with my crazy life and my doing all these heavy stories and I have two kids, teenagers, I didn't think I could have find time for a band and band practice once a week, which is what we try to do. But you know what? It's been the best thing ever. It's like working out I, or 
I don't know. It's just, it's like an endorphin rush and I feel better afterwards and it's great. So highly lesson recommend to, finding something like that in your life. Yeah. I was going to say lesson to all parents who, or just stressed out individuals who, you know, yeah. this, it's really important to have your own outlet. That's great. I'm excited. I got to like Google this now. And uh, <laughs> I don't know, maybe you should take a sabbatical from NBC and just take this on the no, road, Kate. No, it is not. It is just... <laughs> a fun thing. Um, well, let's um, let's shift a little bit to talk about money. And, yeah. and first starting with like, have you covered any financial stories of late or are you interested in pursuing a particular, you know, epidemic such as student loans, for example, another kind of, you know, um, traumatic situation? Our country yeah, is going no, under? I know. Well, the story I'm working on for the tomorrow, which I can't get too detailed about, but it does have to do with people um, paying money for education, a certain kind of education, and um, and then finding that they can't find employment and that they're the certificate that they thought was going to be a door opener for them isn't. Um, and they're saddled with thousands and thousands of dollars of debt. So that's an investigative piece that we're working on right now. Um I've also been doing a lot of pieces that have to do that are related to the opioid crisis that have to do with like the Sackler family, who, you know, right now is um, subject of multiple lawsuits. So those are sort of financially related because they made a lot of money uh, off of prescription painkillers, Oxycontin being their, the big one of the Sackler family, which owns Purdue Pharma. So I, I touch on financial st- you know, there are financial aspects to stories that I cover, but I, I am not, I'm definitely not like the business reporter. I don't do a lot of sort of Wall Street stories, if that makes sense. Yeah, that makes sense. But like, I mean, there's always a money angle, right? Depending yeah, on there is. what you're looking for. Yeah. And even in the drink, when I'm doing these interviews with people about how they got to where they, there's always a money component, right? Because And it, it, it's always there. I mean, and then there's also that sort of haves and have nots thing that I run into a lot in my reporting. I tend to report a lot on people who are the underdogs in society, people who maybe don't have a lot of financial resources. And I see daily the difference that it makes when you don't have financial resources. And it saddens me. I mean, I did a story about the the college entry scandal a few weeks ago for the Today Show about not the illegal stuff that, you know, the people, these parents were, you know, Felicity Huffman and the other parents are accused of buying their kids way into school. If you set aside the illegal parts, the legal system is stacked against people who don't have means, you know, I mean, just the actual system of applying to college. I did a story about how stacked it is against folks who don't have access and don't have financial wherewithal. It's a big, I know there's so many angles and and everyone, there's so much accountability. It's, uh, it's, it's a huge story. Um, In your personal, you know, uprising in your career and how has money, how did you learn about money? Was there a moment (laughs) growing up where you kind of have a, I don't know, just like a money memory that. Yeah, I I have a few, I have a few and it's interesting I think my parents were very wise about trying to teach us when we were young. You know, I had a checking account when I was a kid and our savings account, I guess it was. And my parents were trying to instill that, you know, they gave us allowance. I I got all those lessons when I was a kid, but I grew up in upstate New York. My dad's a professor. My mom stayed home. So I didn't have 
the upbringing that my kids are getting, being close to a city and being close to, you know, where we live now, we live in Westchester County, right outside of New York. And it is a hotbed for people who work in finance, right? And so I think my kids are much more financially literate than I was just because of where I grew up. Um, but I did have a really strong sense of responsibility and my parents, you know, they're my heroes. They, they taught me how to be responsible with money. They also are from the Midwest, so they didn't talk about money a lot. It's not something you talk about out loud. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, and then I guess for me, you know, college was a big turning point for me having to be responsible for my own. I, I, I had... I don't come from a family where everything was given to me on a silver platter, right? I had to work jobs in college. I Luckily, my parents paid the tuition bill, but I had to work also to pay for my expenses. And I think that taught me a lot. I had to be really responsible. There was one summer where I had three jobs because I was going to study abroad um, for that semester and I needed the money to support myself while I was abroad, you know, the living expenses. So... I worked a lot. I scooped ice cream. I was a waitress. <laughs> I that did goes a, lot a long of way. I mean, it's not rocket science. Parents sometimes think they have to sit down and talk about compound interest and all the things. And I'm like, just make sure they get a job when they're 16. <laughs> you yeah, know, it's, I it's think just, that's it's really important. experiences, right? That's right. And I'm trying to actually do that with my own son right now, uh, if he's listening. <laughs> he's 16. And this summer, you know, I'm, I'm joking, he's already applied for a few jobs. Um, and I'm really proud of him because I think I think right now, especially where I live in the coastal areas, it's very, you know, New York, West Coast, East Coast. I think it's very common for kids not to have jobs anymore. Yeah, well, um, there aren't any sort of, jobs. They're, the teen jobs have gone away. They've, the senior citizens are now t- – like that happened after the recession and it's – we haven't quite recovered that yeah. know, jobs went away and, and it, it's, they're harder now to get jobs as teens. Right. And I think at least where I live, there are some teens who just don't want to do that. They, they <laughs> would be happy taking their parents' allowance. And, you know, I, I think there's, as you said, it's a, it's a life lesson to work for a living and to have to save. Another thing that happened to me is I had student debt. Um, I went to grad, I went to undergrad and then I went to graduate school. And when I got to graduate school level, um, I was taking on more of the financial responsibility for that. I did get scholarships, which was great. I went to Georgetown and I got a scholarship, but I did have a lot of, you know, books and living expenses and rent and all that added up. And so I had some student debt and I paid it off through my twenties. Even when I got married to my husband, we got married at 30, I was still paying off student debt. So that story, when we tell the story about student debt, it's I get personal. It. It's personal. I worked really hard to pay off that debt and it was painful. Um, and I, and then moving forward from that without getting too detailed about like salaries and stuff, but I started, you know, to make, to be a little bit more comfortable in my early thirties. And I found that I had to, every time I got a raise, I still wanted to live on the money that I had been living on. Does that make sense? Like not expand my lifestyle to fit the raise. And it's something that the financial planner that my husband and I work with, we just met with him last month and he was commending us because he said, you guys haven't really, you know, as you're 
as you, as you've gotten further along in your career and obviously you get raises as you get older, you've tried not to, the financial planner was saying, you guys have done a good job at not living beyond your means or, or, or even living to your means. You know what I mean? Like, like expanding the way you live and spending more money on vacations because you have the money. I think that's the danger that a lot of people fall into. It's, it's so true. Yeah. It's called like lifestyle creep or something like that, where mm-hmm. your lifestyle creeps up as your income creeps up. So you never quite have more capacity to save. It's, 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 it takes a lot of discipline. It, you know what it takes for me is it takes saving up front, right? It takes right. like putting that money in a place where I cannot see it. <laughs> and I'm sure everybody's like that, right? Because otherwise, I'm we like, can't be trusted. <laughs> I've got some extra money. I'm going to go buy a really nice handbag. I mean, yeah, we can't be trusted. So you, you kind of alluded to this, like your student loan, um, you know, your student loans dragged on. And um, yes. we, I, we're asking guests this month, as this is airing in May, early May, graduation season, um, in partnership with our <clears throat> podcast sponsor, excuse me, <clears throat> I'm going to edit that out. In partnership with our podcast sponsor, Chase, we're asking guests, what's the one thing you wish you had known about money when you graduated from college? Is it more about, for you, the kind of the, the toll of student loans or is there something else? Let me think about that for a second. Uh, the one thing I wish I had known when I graduated from college. About money. Yeah, about money. <sighs> I, I wish, no, 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 I, I can answer it. I wish I had been a little more sophisticated in my understanding of uh, investment assets. I mean, the, the things that I've learned over time, but I really didn't have a lot of financial literacy beyond just, you know, checking account, savings account. Do you know what I mean? I didn't understand um yeah, I didn't appreciate or understand the power of investment, the power of having a, you know, stock portfolio. I didn't even understand what stocks were, if I'm being honest. I really didn't understand that until probably halfway through my 20s. Right. And at that point, were you in a, investing in a 401k or anything like that towards retirement? I did as soon as I could. Um, my parents gave me the advice, I think, to to put money in the 401k as soon as I possibly could. So yeah, I did that early on. And that that has absolutely helped, right? I already had a little tiny nest egg, even by the time I got married to my husband, we were 30. And then, you know, we, we sort of joined things together. And um, we created joint accounts at that point. And yeah, and then we just kept going. I don't know. I, but I wish I'd known more early. I feel like I might I might have been able, been able it to can't be hurt. more savvy. It <laughs> but it sounds like hurt. you've had a pretty good grip all these years. And one thing you just mentioned about how you and your husband pool your accounts together, there was a study out recently that said that couples who could, you know, join their accounts are happier, which I think, I, I don't know about that. I think that today, if you're getting married and you've been accustomed to managing your own money and your, your people are getting married later in life, I think that it's good to have some autonomy, like your own bank account, always be transparent, always communicate, but there's something about having access to your own money, mm. even just a little bit of it. Can, can I don't know. Yeah. So what's <laughs> I your take? I've been, we've, been, we, we've been married 20 years this fall, this September. And ah, thank you. I'm trying to think of how to say this. So we we pooled our money um, from the beginning and I 
uh, have said this publicly, I am the primary breadwinner, like by far. My husband stayed home for about 15 years to thank God to support me and raise our kids. Um, and we, you know, worked, he has a radio show that he does, a podcast actually. So he still did that, but it, he took a back seat financially. I mean, he, you know, he had to take a real step back and make a very big career sacrifice for me to be doing what I'm doing today. Um, and he would say the same thing. It's just kind of how it worked out. We didn't plan it that way, but that's how it worked out. My son was born. We realized, oh my gosh, someone can't be flying all over the country every day, all the time. I was covering the white house. I was on air force one, like every day. So my husband, it was either we were going to hire someone full time to take over our lives and raise our kids or my husband was going to stay home. So that's what we did. And the kids are great. And it, it really worked. But it means financially that all of it's on me, really. Um, not now my husband's working again, but it's still pretty much all of it's on me. So. It's been interesting, but we did pool because I think the reason I would say pooling works for us anyway is it's the trust thing. It's the marriage. It's, you know, we are a married couple in all ways, including we don't hide anything from each other and we don't hide our finances from each other. So that's why I personally like that we did that. Yeah. And I think, well, that's first of all, I love this story. I'm also the primary breadwinner in our household. And I've written a book about female breadwinners. I think it's important for us to be open about it and talk about, you know, all of it, the good, the bad, the challenges, because this is becoming an increasing trend, which I want to support. You know, we need to be able to tell women that this is possible and that there's nothing wrong with it. There there can be some stigma around it, don't you think? Like, oh, you're the breadwinner. Unfortunately, yeah, I do. And I think it's changing, but not fast enough. I mean, I, I know I have a lot of girlfriends who are the, who are either they're the only one working or they make more than their husbands. Who cares, right? Let's get out of the dark ages. It doesn't matter. As <laughs> the long dark as ages, yeah. As long as your family is functioning and happy and your kids are happy and your spouse is happy, it does. to me, it just doesn't matter anymore. Like it's 2019 for Pete's sake. Um, and I, 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 but it is interesting that it, we're still culturally a little bit stuck, I think. Like my husband would tell you, Chris is his name, Chris would say, we go to dinner parties or we go to big events. And the first thing people ask him is, what do you do? You know, and it shouldn't be the first question, but it often is. It's so New York. It's very New York. It's very yes. New York. Well, this has been such a fun conversation. I know you have to get back to all the things because you're only, you know, reporting on 12 different stories at once. Um, <laughs> looking forward it's to fun, your broadcasts man. on the mysterious um, education piece, which I, I, I'm, yes. I'm really interested in learning more about that. I'll have to let you know when that's coming. That should be in May on Nightly News, hopefully. We will will stay tuned. Kate, thank you so much for your candidness, for all the work that you do, for spending time with us. This has been really a privilege. Thank you. Farnoosh, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Thanks so much to Kate for joining us. Check out her series, The Drink with Kate Snow, which is on digital and OTT. You can follow Kate on Facebook and Twitter, Instagram, and Snapchat 
at TV Kate Snow. All this information is back at SoMoneyPodcast.com, the audio as well as the transcript. And while you're there, click on Ask Farnoosh and send me your question for the Friday episodes of Ask Farnoosh, whether it's about money, career, kids, dating. Everybody seems to think I'm an expert about all these things. And I try my best. You know, I've lived life now almost 40 years. I got some thoughts. Send me those questions. And also, if you want to co-host with me, very important. I'm looking for co-hosts. My schedule has gotten a little bit more open these next few weeks and months coming up. So would love to connect with you listeners. Thanks for tuning in, everyone. And I hope your day is so money. Money.